Thank you for listening to the Lunch Pail Guys podcast. If you enjoy the show and want to support us, the best ways are to leave a five-star review and subscribe on your favorite platform and follow us on Twitter or Instagram at lunchpailguys underscore. and welcome to the 180th episode of the Lunch Pill Guys podcast. This is part one for this week, and I'm here with everybody. I got Lucas, Wyatt, Jared, Bart, uh, and me, your host, Aiden. Um, and before we dive into our, our real topics for the day, as per usual, we're going to start with some news that we missed. Um, to start the most important news of all, Patrick Beverly says he and Russell Westbrook want a ring if the Lakers end up winning the title this year. And apparently, in an addendum to this, the Lakers have announced that they will get a ring if slash when this happens. Good for them. It's funny that they're not going to get one. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) they felt the need to say that before they've even won a title. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So I I guess the like on Russell Westbrook's Wikipedia page, it's not now going to say like NBA NBA title champion. Yeah, Yeah. finally did it. Yeah. (laughs) The only thing, look, the the Lakers don't have to do it. Both players represent one of the darkest times of their season. Uh, so I don't blame anybody for saying that they're too crazy to give them a ring. Uh, but I guess it's good sportsmanship, maybe, on their part. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my anyway, gosh. Staying in L.A., we have uh, Bronny James committed to USC. He apparently has an NIL valuation of $5.9 million, So That's crazy. Yeah. I feel uh, like that's yeah. when you like look up somebody's net worth and it's like their net worth is $300 million. Like it's just kind of like this weird made up number yeah. that, over, yeah. that right, always like where, overshoots. How do we compute this? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think the number one overall prospects also go into USC as well. That's so true. And uh, Dennis Rodman's son just transferred. Yeah. Wow. USC going to win it all next year. Star studded. Yeah. We're going to see Snoop Dogg at some games on the sidelines, I think, too. Mm-hmm. For sure. <laughs> okay, and finally we got uh, Nikola Jokic got into an altercation with the Suns owner while trying to get the ball out of bounds on, I forgot what day that was. Uh, but anyway, Jokic was not suspended. He was fined 25K. Do we have uh, thoughts on this? He should not have been. It's suspended. an embarrassment to the league that he's playing in this series yeah, right come now. On. <laughs> come on, <Jared. laughs> I'm just joking. I've been I've been super like, impressed. I've been super impressed with the Nuggets actually, and I'm like I can't say anything bad about Jokic. <laughs> yeah, playoff Jokic has been different this year. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've been it's been crazy. Well, Jamal Murray. Yeah, been they're good lucky. Too. They're lucky it was the yeah. Suns owner and not a random fan. I think that would have been much worse. <laughs> but, you think? You know, oh yeah. No, I think I think because they're both part of like the NBA circle, they can kind of mm. let some of that stuff go. If it was like me or you, it'd probably be <laughs> like it would it'd look a lot worse and all that. I but I don't know. I'm not actually not that mad at the Suns owner. It's like a little gamesmanship to like pick up the ball while you you while yeah, you have a guy down. Funny. And I do all that stuff yeah, and then yeah. and then the flop you and all that. Sold it well. I know. It was like, yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, I just feel like that that was like a funny little back and forth, and it kind of got blown out of proportion. To be honest. Yeah. But yeah. it's oh. like I said, they're lucky it's uh, Matt Ish- Ishba. He said himself, right, that he doesn't think Jokic should have been suspended, yeah. right? Yeah. Because so. he knows yeah. it would have been a bad look if 
Jokic did end up yeah. getting suspended for that. Yeah. Know. It was made everything feel cheaper. But... Okay, now moving into our, our first topic of the day. We're sticking with the NBA. Uh, we got Mike Budenholzer was fired last week. Um, so the Bucks fired the coach that coached them to a championship um, just two years ago at this point. Um, so Coach Bud now joins Nick Nurse and Frank Vogel as coaches to win a championship and be fired in the last five years. Uh, Wyatt, did Bud deserve the boot? Uh, real quick, if you go past the last five years, Ty Lue is also part of that list mm-hmm. of a championship coach, which kind of sets the expectation that um, teams aren't really messing around when it comes to how, when it comes to the, you know the high expectation of we want to win a championship. So I think in this sense, it does make sense. Um, and I think that we have to evaluate Budenholzer this last couple, this last playoff series with a grain of salt because he, he was obviously working through a tra- tragedy within his family at the time of the series. But the very last play of the Bucks series was probably a huge reason why they ended up giving him the boot. He had two timeouts remaining, and maybe without the distractions of um, – his family, I don't want to call them distractions like they're trivial, but, um, you know, a clouded judgment there. He would have maybe used one to dial something up. But the problem lies with the situation is that they failed in an area that we've seen them struggle in the last couple of years uh, pre-championship. Budenholzer's offense and defensive adjustments are just way too rigid for postseason basketball, especially when you're playing against a dog like Jimmy Butler in the first round and a technician in Eric Spolstra who is – I mean, you saw it in the play before. Um, the Heat ran a beautiful play, and then it comes down to the other side, and the Bucks are struggling to get the ball into the hands to the point where Grayson Allen is – he doesn't even get a shot off, but like he's the guy with the ball in his hands at the end of the play. Um, and it's, it's, it's an embarrassing way to go out. Uh, it's an abject disaster, and there should have been a timeout slash play to get the ball into the hands of Chris Middleton or Giannis down in the block in some way. Um, he deserves a lot of credit, though, for his systems in the development and maximization of Giannis. But those systems have failed to evolve as Giannis grew, grew as a player. Um, and I spoke about that post-championship a couple of years ago. He'll bounce back and find another job if he wants it. Um, he just had the next time around, he has to learn on growing into phase two of his adjustments and in, in play. Why you were you were advocating for the Bucks to fire Bud like the year they won the championship? You were saying that they should move on. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, Two I seem to have been, yeah. I seem to be right at this point. No, <laughs> exactly. Mm-hmm. What have the Bucks done since then? Yeah, yeah. I don't know. They weren't bad last year, right? They went to the second round, game seven against the Celtics or whatever. I think that I don't know. I think it is in some ways a bit premature. I feel like the leash has become a little bit too short for coaches. It, 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 like Especially considering, like, I know the adjustments were rigid in playoffs and it didn't work out, but they made the second round last year and took it to Game 7 this year. They had the best record in the whole NBA during the regular season. And I think there are, like, a lot of extenuating circumstances to look at as to why they lost this series as well. Um... Giannis being hurt for part of the series, I think, is fairly critical to that happening. Um, and additionally, like, the personal tragedies that he was going through as well. So I feel like if your last three years are NBA championship, 
Game 7 against the eventual Eastern Conference champion in the playoffs. And then best record in the NBA, but a fluky first-round loss. Like, that doesn't exactly, to me, necessitate the firing of a coach in a way that you would expect to. Like, there are coaches who are doing a much worse job than him that are keeping their jobs. Yeah, but I think the trajectory of outside of the championship, which I know is, feels ridiculous to throw out, that's kind of like the Utah Jazz, where it's they have a really re- awesome regular season, and then come the postseason, they haven't really failed to make it past one of the first two rounds and make a serious push, um, which would be the last two years for the buck, the Bucks. So like, we we didn't take the Jazz serious when it was Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert. It was kind of like yeah yeah yeah, we'll see what happens, and. I think it's justified to say that we may be in a point where they have to be in an Eastern Conference final or a champion when you have the best player in the world and you finally got the monkey off your back in the next championship or in a championship from a couple of years ago. The, the standard has been raised, and they're not just a young team trying to break through. They're a team that has to set the standard that we are one of the best teams in the NBA, we are the best team in the Eastern Conference, and we have the best player in the world so getting out in round one and round two isn't just is not acceptable. I feel like though our collective expectations have been a little bit thrown off by what happened from 2014 to 2018, 2019, where it was the Warriors and Cavs in the finals every year. Like I think there's almost an expectation that unless you're making the finals every year, like you're failing. And I just don't think that's true. I don't think we're in that era of NBA basketball before, anymore. Like I think if you look at this year, the parity is on another level to what it's been. I think there's no clear favorite at this point um, as to who's going to win. It could be the Sixers. It could be the Celtics. It could be the Nuggets. It could be the Lakers. I think that there's been an era of parity that has sort of come down now that makes things like this happening um, more likely. It could even be the Heat, who are the eight seed coming into the playoffs. And you're just not going to dominate in the way that the Warriors did in 2016 or the Cavs did in 2016. That sort sort of era so i think we need to like readjust our expectations back to what they were before that era where if you win a title you make one deep playoff from the year after that and then you kind of fluky fall out of the playoffs the year after that like that still shouldn't be grounds for firing i think our expectations have just been so thrown off by what lebron and Steph were able to do you know between eight and four years ago or whatever it was mm-hmm. yeah i think that's fair I guess the, count, the counterpoint yeah. to that, though, is that, like, yeah, it's LeBron James, and I'm not saying that Giannis is LeBron or is as good as LeBron was when he was on the Cavs or the Heats, but on those Cavs team that he were taking to the finals were probably fully healthy with Kevin Love and Kyrie Irving just as good roster-wise as what this Bucks team has constructed between Brooke Lopez, Chris Middleton, Drew Holiday, and all the other pieces that they've added, and Giannis, of course. Um, and then even in some instances – way better than teams that that LeBron James has taken to the finals. And not to say that Giannis should be as good as LeBron and take really crappy teams to the finals. What I'm saying is that this team should be able to achieve, given the whole roster construction um, of of what they got, they, they should be able to achieve more than what they have in the last two years. Yeah, I think that's also fair. But I also think that... The, the failures of the last two years aren't necessarily enough. Like, if they were missing the playoffs, like, that's another story. But they had the best record in the whole NBA this year. Like, yes, they lost in the first round, and that's not great. Yeah. But, 
it's not like they have like fallen off a cliff since the title yeah. yeah it doesn't feel like a pattern yet or anything you know like an actually concerning pattern yeah i, I, I don't know the... I, don't know. I saw a stat that said that go ahead bart oh. um i saw a stat that said that they were the one seed three times in the past five years and they never made the finals they're the only team ever to do that so i feel like you could argue that bud is consistently underwhelming as they're like he's a good regular season coach, but doesn't quite deliver in the playoffs. It seems like there's a bit of a pattern. Sorry, Jared, what were you going to say? I was going to say that Warriors were impatient with Mark Jackson, and that kind of paid dividends for them. Even though Mark Jackson had pretty good seasons, they still got rid of him, and he never won a title. Yeah, but he didn't win a title. I, I don't know. Yeah, but I don't know. I it, like... it, it could work out for the better, though, for the Bucks. They could be they right could. to be impatient. It could work out much worse. Yeah, it could. Yeah. Right, like. You can go with an unknown entity, and you know, Drew Holiday's not getting younger. Chris Middleton, where he's a free agent this off season. You, you don't know what's going to happen necessarily. I think Chris Middleton can like opt out and become free agent this, this off season if he wants to. So like, I don't know. Like, there's also the possibility this gets much worse. Like, you're kind of losing the known quantity, hmm. which. I do feel like there's a floor just given the team's talent, even if you lose a Chris Middleton, which I'm, I'm not sure what the buzz around him staying going, that kind of thing is. But I feel like they're probably, I don't know, they're not, it's not like they're dropping out of the playoffs. I feel like to, to yeah. whatever coach mm. ends up coaching them. That's fair. Do we think. Next year, they just run it back with a new coach and go from there, or do the Bucks need more kind of changes? You know, it's it's super interesting because I think, I don't know if it's next year or the next couple of years, the new CBA is going to take place um, in the NBA, which is going to hinder some of the higher spending team's ability to add talent later in the season. So I think... Mm-hmm. The Bucks have to be a little bit careful. Like, Brooke Lopez is a free agent this year, and they, they got to decide if they want to re-sign him at 35 years old. Obviously, we talked about Chris Middleton just a second ago and whether or not he's going to uh, stick around. He His value to that team is probably worth a max contract or something like that. Um, Drew Holiday is an expensive contract. Giannis will be eligible for another Supermax in September or so. So they're going to be pretty tied up. And outside of that, it's basically like we got to bank on – us being as good as we have been if we want to keep everybody who's on the roster today or we have to kind of maneuver it around here a little bit. I think it makes sense for the Bucks to be in the high spending area and to basically trade away their draft picks for whatever they need to do. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what is, what's it worth? What's a first round draft pick worth to the Bucks right now? And even if they were to make a big trade and say trade for like a Bradley Beal or Dame Lillard or something like that, if Giannis was like, I'm out of here, they certainly would get a handful of draft picks back at him, um, you know, if if they needed assets in any way. But it's, it's definitely going to be really interesting on, on what their team looks like because the CBA, if it were effective this year, they would not have been able to add guys like Joe Ingles onto their roster. Mm. And Danilo Gallinari wouldn't have been on the Boston Celtics. And Dante DiVincenzo wouldn't have been on the Golden State Warriors. And John Wall wouldn't have been on the Clippers. And it's going to change the way the teams build uh, a lot. But I think if they're going to go into a team next year, one, I saw a name that was really interesting for a head coach. Um, and I wrote 
we we we'll probably talk about who's going to replace them. But I wrote uh, any of the Warriors assistants seem to be doing pretty well across the league. Um, and then Greg Popovich's assistant Becky Hammond was an original interview candidate before they hired Boonholzer back in like twenty eighteen or so. Um, and he's she's been a longtime assistant with Greg Popovich. Um, she is obviously a WNBA superstar or was, and she has a lot of experience doing something like that. I'd just like to see a coach that maybe would help Giannis develop a little bit better offensively, at least as far as like run plays and get him in situations where he can kind of get to his spots and then go from there instead of just take it from the top of the key and go downhill. Well, they're already Anyone talking to throw out names for uh, prospective head coaches. Nick Nurse is one mm-hmm. I've seen. Yeah. yeah, this is unrelated in a way, but for the Raptors role, apparently they're considering J.J. Redick, which I, I think would be today. an all-time awful decision. <laughs> <laughs> but why? why him specifically? It has Jeff Saturday. They've done that multiple. I mean, multiple teams have done that now, where they hired a pundit that was a former player. Has that worked out, out for anybody yeah, other than Steve Kerr? Like he's probably the only one who yeah. you can say it's work. You know, it's worked out. Yeah. But what did? Yeah, Steve did Steve Nash, Kerr not have any coaching experience before that? I have no idea. He's credited I'm, I'm of being looking. a disciple of Greg Popovich, but I remember yeah. him just being on TV. <laughs> he was an executive for a long time before that with the Suns. Mm-hmm. So like he wasn't ever a head coach, but he had front office experience, which is at least something. Yeah. Like sort of I guess I'm an executive take, for a long time. Yeah, he was there for like six or seven years at the at the Suns. But like I don't know. It feels different. What well, is because it is different. Because that's yeah, it's it like it's, it's the same as like hiring Steve Nash. Who didn't have yeah. any experience whatsoever? Mm. I'm sure JJ Redick yeah. is. I'm not to say Steve Nash is dumb, but like I think JJ Redick gets a little bit extra credit because he does have a podcast and he goes on first take and he gives Stephen A. Smith and whatever goon that they put on there the business every week. And it's like, oh, this guy knows ball. And <laughs> he, exactly I'm not saying that he doesn't. Yeah, of yeah. course. But it's like, <laughs> but yeah, like if if somebody if a NASA scientist wanted to talk to me about, you know quantum physics or whatever i'm sure i'd look like the idiot too but <laughs> yeah yeah i don't know it's all context did you see jj reddick too and this is <laughs> i guess we're, we're trailing <laughs> off the point here but he was like all season he's like you don't know ball if you don't think that like Jokic is the mvp or you're not using your eyes and then he voted for Giannis to be mvp i don't know if anybody uh, saw this i don't pay attention that closely he was like all season like it, the narratives are spinning <laughs> <laughs> So, some of us do as Sixers yeah, fans as to, you know, who is going to gonna be MVP. Don't have to care about that anymore. So. Yeah. That you don't know ball argument is undefeated. Kendrick Perkins also pulled out that same move. <laughs> yeah, that's just a tactic when you don't know, like, how to argue well. <laughs> what do you say when in doubt, yeah. Exactly. I do know ball. Uh, trust me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I saw on the topic of Warriors assistance, I think they're interviewing Kenny Atkinson, or at least yeah, it sounds like they're too. strongly considering him, which is interesting. But okay, moving on to a team that 
is still in the playoffs. We have the Sixers. Lucas's Sixers um, are up a game on the Celtics right now. James Harden so far this playoffs has been pretty dominant at times, has been pretty inefficient and frustrating at other times. It seems like it just goes back and forth depending on the game. Uh, Jared, with reports that Harden might make a return to Houston this offseason, should the Sixers push to bring him back at this point? Or is it time to move on after this year? I think it's time to move on. And this is good timing, too, because he just had the 42-point game and the 17-point game where he shot 50%. But I think regardless of what happens this year, it's time to move on. While the peaks of him are high, the valleys are are too low, and I think that's really the main issue. If you look at averages, it doesn't make him look that bad. Like, 22 points per game, 6.3 assists per game, and 5.5 rebounds per game in 158 playoff games, I believe, if StatMuse is correct. But I think you can't afford the dips, though. <laughs> and that's, like, the real problem with Harden. Like, he's had 15 games where he shot less than 20% in his playoff career, which is, that's pretty bad. 94, um, and same if you just take the league average field goal percentage, it's hovered around, like, 45% or so for the last decade, give or take a couple percentages. Mm-hmm. He shot underneath that 94 times in the playoff career, in his playoff career. Like, you can't rely on him for efficiency. You can't rely on him to control, to take care of the ball either. Like, again, uh, over 48 times he's turned the ball over five times or more in his playoff career. And, like, just, like, some of the bad games he's had. Like, obviously, we've seen this series, games two and three, where he shot 14 and 21%. But those aren't even really outliers. Like, he had a game in the 2015 2015 playoffs against the Warriors where he shot 18% and had 12 turnovers in that game. And then, like, again, that's not an outlier. He had a game literally two seasons before that with 10 turnovers and 33% field goal. Like, this is just a trend with him that you're going to have, yes, you are going to have those 42-point games, but you're also going to have the double-digit turnover, or not double-digit, but you're going to have, like, the five-plus turnovers shooting less than 40% games as well. And I think, like, you can get players that are not going to be that same type of player are maybe not going to command as much money either, like, that are going to be better fits for the team. Um like Jalen Brown, for example, who's playing with, I'd, I'd say, playing better and playing at similar averages uh, in this playoff career. Maybe somebody like Drew Holiday, for example, is also kind of in that same tier right now as James Harden in terms of playoff career numbers. Um, and those are guys that potentially Philadelphia could target later on. But I, I wouldn't say, I think it's time to move on. The experiment, whether or not it works, it will have been lucky, I think, this year that you just didn't get the low at the right time. I, I disagree, and I think there's like a fundamental difference here in that so much of the other playoff stuff, he was the, he had to be the number one option. Like This is a fundamentally different scenario because he can have those nights and Embiid can take over. Like You can afford to have the hardened dips because you have somebody like Embiid in there. I don't think that this series is necessarily shows that because Embiid was still pretty injured, I think, for game two at least. So like he didn't have the balancing out, but... I don't know, game five, Harden was, like, good, but not great. He wasn't, like, turning the ball over 15 times or whatever, but he only scored a 17. He was distributing nicely, but because you can afford more of the Harden dips of the Sixers because you have Embiid and because you have Max. You guys that can pick up the scoring load um, when he's not in there. I mean, yes, the, the downs hurt. Game three, I think, was horrific, um, but you can more weather the storm of the lows because you still get the highs and the highs are so high still at this point i saw a tweet that was there's no player who has a greater gap between their floor and ceiling than james harden which i think is 
Russell True. Westbrook. Yeah. That yeah. also is a good. But, I mean, the highs are so high. The, Harden is the reason that the Sixers are still in the series at this point. Like, full stop. Game one and game four, he played out of his mind. And game five, he didn't play, you know, crazy, but he was effective. He distributed the ball. Things went well. You're not going to get ever get that from Drew Holiday. I don't even know if you're ever going to get that from Jalen Brown. But it's something that James Harden, uniquely James Harden, I think, provides. And while he's getting older, the end of that deal will probably look very bad for the Sixers. I don't think you can really think about that. They have a window with Embiid to win now. We'll see how this year goes. Um, I hope they can close it out against the Celtics. They've got two games to do it. Who knows where it'll go from there. But the way this roster is assembled, it's very clearly working for the Sixers. And I think that even though you get the Harden downs it's worth it for the highs that it provides. And I think you're seeing the benefits of that. Mm, this I, would, I would counter with two things. I think those are valid points, but I would counter with one, it's only the second round. <laughs> so there's still time for him to mess it up Two, the Brooklyn Nets yeah. didn't survive his lows and they had KD, you know, so I don't know. You can argue. I'm sure you can probably argue that the Nets were a better constructed or uh, the Sixers are a better constructed team and all that. But we've seen him also not in the number one role in the team, not being able to survive his lows. Like there was a game. He literally didn't even shoot the ball. For 43, and he played 43 minutes. Or, no, sorry. He didn't shoot the ball, but there's also games where he went one for 10, played 45 minutes. You know, like, it's going to happen. It's just going to happen multiple times. I just think that the Nets. (laughs) I think the Nets are just like a uniquely terrible, like, (laughs) situation. Like, I I can't explain it away any other than that. That, like, the Nets were just like, with Steve Nash there, with Kyrie there, with, like, it was just like, who really knew what was going to happen at any given time. So, well, I think that is a valid point. I also think it's weird to look at it. Not weird, but it's, it's the Nets just aren't a good example of what this mm-hmm. is necessarily and what you can do with Harden. Yeah. yeah, I feel like if Embiid wasn't injured so much, not that he's injured entirely all the time, um, I feel like it would make Harden less useful if he was healthy more. Like the boomer, as you mentioned, the boomer bus is... You can deal with that if it's if you're taking Harden versus the you know the other team without Embiid. You want a boomer bust guy because you don't really have a shot otherwise if you're down Embiid. Um, so I feel like he's valuable from the perspective that if Embiid's not there, he at least gives you a fighting shot to have a crazy game and, and carry the team. Yeah, hence game one of this, the Celtics series where he just went crazy and won it for them. Even aside from the scoring, I feel like it's his distributing that the Sixers might miss more if he's gone. You know, like he was, he led the league in assists in the regular season. He's third in the playoffs right now. Who, like, I'm looking at the free agents who are going to be available this offseason. Like, there's nobody on this list who would, I think, be as effective as him. And, like, if you give, you know, if you give Embiid, like, a scrub distributor, then I think they're often taking so. He's been creating most of his year. own shots this year. I, I don't know how the stats, but I feel like he's been creating most of his own shots this year. I, I no, I think the Embiid Harden pick and roll has been like the most effective, like offensive weapon in the NBA this year. I think there are stats that back mm-hmm. that up. I don't have them in front of me, but <laughs> I think I, I somebody tweeted like I think when they ran the pick and roll with Embiid and Harden, they averaged like one point one five points per possession, which is I think very high, or so. mm-hmm. at least in this past series, um, or in the game on um, yeah. Uh, game five. Yeah. Do we believe the rumors of Harden going to Houston? Kind of confuses to like that's not a contending team 
Well, you know what? With the Ime Doka hire, it kind of seems a little bit more interesting for somebody to want to head that way. Um, again, yeah, who knows really what this team looked like? I mean, this could be like they get Ime Doka and Victor Wembanyama in the same season, and then James Harden jumps on board, and maybe that's the appeal of it, along with the other young players here or there, but. When it comes to just like if James, like if this team didn't add a uh, pick one or two in this year's draft and the and just James Harden, it would be kind of stupid for him to do that rather than stay in Philly. I also think that Philly can't afford right now to do what happened with Jimmy Butler. Jimmy Butler should be a 76er right now. They can't afford to let a talented player just like kind of back out um, and maybe opt for somebody else instead, like Tobias Harris, who kind of is whittling away for a guy who was on a max contract at the time like he, he he is not necessarily living up to his value as clearly jimmy butler is the best playoff performer in the nba right now so it's like what else are you really going to do um especially because i don't think that tyrese maxi has taken enough step a big enough step for them to validate moving on i think maxi is kind of like the key piece when it comes to james harden where if he was being in the low games of James Harden, if he was being the second best guy or or the best guy at a given night, it would make sense that we can believe that James Harden or Maxi will get better enough that we don't need James Harden and we don't have to deal with the highs and lows. I think Maxi has not progressed as much as he should have from the start of this year to right now uh, to validate kind of him being next up and then moving on, which I thought would happen, but it hasn't. And Max is still, like, a very good and effective piece of the team, but I agree with you, Wyatt, that, like, he just hasn't shown enough at this stage in his career that he can be a hardened replacement. He is a great third-option scorer on that team. For what he does, he can light it up from three occasionally. Um, he's super fast, though. He absolutely, like, drives and tries to get layups when he is, like, double-covered and then gets blocked by Rob Williams or whoever way too often. But he's good at what he does but why it's right he just has absolutely not made the progress necessary to be a a hardened replacement well you know what is something that's good enough to be a hardened replacement this podcast um make sure you're subscribed uh we're on spotify we're on, on amazon music we are on apple podcasts we are on podbean check us out there make sure you're listening download the episodes it really helps us out um and in addition to that make sure you're uh, following us on our social media tiktok instagram and twitter at lunchpailguys underscore thanks for listening and we will see you in our next episode